0: Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. see the choir, who's in the choir now. Thank you. Let's pray. God, open our hearts, open our minds, open our hands. Correct us. Call us. Hear us. Mediation. Mediation is defined as a way of getting two or more parties in conflict to agree. It's called arbitration, I believe, in some fields. If you've ever experienced mediation in a legal sense, you'll understand the importance of that. I hope you haven't, hope you never will. Maybe you experienced it in a parental sense, though. If you have children, you probably will agree with me that it seems all day long your main job as a parent is to be a mediator. It's true, parents really don't want justice, you know, to who get who with just one peace. Just one client, but even if you only have one child, it's a regular occurrence in your family to have negotiations and mediation going on between you and your child all the time. But if you have more than one child, you know there can be fights over anything—the um, soccer ball, a frisbee, Legos who gets to choose the movie, on and on. My brothers and I fought over who got to sit in the front seat of the car, who got the best seat in the house, or who got to be first in line. I know a family that has twins. When they were young, little fellas, a few years old, they would give them toys to play with. Of course, they fought over toys. So they decided they would give each one the very same toy. Both got the exact toy. Still, playing with the same toy, one would reach over to take the other's toy because he wanted it. So mediation is a part of our lives. You didn't know that as a parent you would spend your time settling arguments. Because if you knew that... You would have gotten some training in conflict management, I imagine, or maybe a degree in law. And that would come in handy as you're dealing with conflict between not just siblings, co-workers, labor and management, spouses, church members, on and on. It's really quite simple. One party wants this, the other party wants that. The mediator is the person that helps those in conflict come to an agreement. True story, told by Daniel Bensby and Michael Young. The members of a popular band found themselves, as so many do, at odds over creative differences. Kind of creative differences that rhyme with the word honey, okay, money. They were tired of the sound and the expense of litigation. They tried a different tune. Mediation. By four o'clock in the afternoon, the four bandmates still very far apart. The mediator convinced them to do something. She called it a great favor to her. She asked them to come together if they would. and just sing one of their early hits. And so with a a little coaxing, they agreed and they sang a cappella, several of the greatest hits. With a little guidance, then they began talking about their past history, how they got to know each other, about touring, all the fun times they had back when they enjoyed each other. That led to a settlement, the mediator got paid got a free concert and the band was happy. But not all mediators are so lucky. Imagine being a mediator between people of Israel and Almighty God. Between the people of God and the creator of the universe. No pressure. Simply put, the people want one thing, God wants another. Caught in the middle was Samuel their judge, leader, minister. What was it have been like to be a mediator like Samuel? The representative of a people to intervene on their behalf and at the same time to be the mouthpiece of God. The God who had saved them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. I can only imagine how exhausting that would be really how lonely it would be after all how can a mediator help parties come to an agreement when at least one of those parties is known to be we will say unchanging immovable stubborn perhaps steadfast is the word we hear God is referred to as steadfast at least 219 times in the Bible. 132 of those times are found in Psalms. So steadfastness, immovable, irrefutable, unchangeable, unalterable, that's a good definition for God. As God says in Malachi 3:6, I am the Lord and I change not. So there's no mediating when one party won't budge. We may believe that about God ourselves. When we pray, that will be done. We pray as if God would never answer our prayers or respond. Now, I'm often surprised by how stubborn and immovable a small child is. I'm not surprised to think of God that way because so many of our theological beliefs are built on. God as immovable and unchanging. And yet, there's, there are scriptures about God changing. Exodus 32, 14 says, the Lord changed his mind because Moses pleaded with him. Our passage this morning indicates there is some flexibility in God's relationship with us. I wonder if there's a lesson here. If God who is immovable, unchanging, is willing to change. What's our excuse? As we know that all things, people, organizations, institutions, that won't change, will be stuck, will perhaps die. David Bruce says, some of the world's most profitable and enduring companies have achieved their long track record of success by reinventing themselves. Did you know cell phone maker Nokia started off selling rubber boots? Anybody know that? Oil giant Shell used to import and sell actual shells. In 2013, Warren Buffett was the fourth richest man on the planet, $58.5 billion. It's a savvy investor. He has Berkshire Hathaway, as you know. But did you know? Berkshire Hathaway began as a textile man. In 1927, Hathaway Manufacturing Company built a textile. In 1955, it merged with Berkshire fine-spinning associates to become, eventually, Berkshire Hathaway. Reinventing ourselves, changing. We don't like to change. We don't have to like it. God had told the Israelites they would not be like other nations. Other nations had kings. But God wanted to be their king, the center of their universe, the one they trusted. They would order their lives on scripture. They would trust these strange laws of God that made them appear strange and unique among the nations. But the elders of Israel now want to abandon the very thing that makes them unique, makes them different, so they can be like other nations. Israel wanted a king. God didn't want that for him. Stuck in the middle, this mediator, Samuel, representative of Israel, a mouthpiece for God. Imagine, you can see it back and forth. He goes, pulled in different directions. He caught it from both sides, I'm sure. Samuel must have felt he had failed as their leader. Their minister. Listen to what the elders say to him. It's you, Samuel. It's you. You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. So now appoint a king for us to lead us, such as all the other nations Sons do not follow your ways, and you're old. Samuel was an easy target. Leaders are easy targets. So God must remind Samuel in verse 7 it's not you they've rejected, but me. Now, why would God need to remind him? Samuel, it's not you? they've rejected him. Because surely Samuel believes them. It's my fault. Perhaps he says it. Maybe he interprets their rejection of God as a rejection of him. If I had been a better leader, they would not have asked for a king. If I had been what? A better father, more charismatic, more energetic, more entertaining, more convincing, more biblical, better speaker. You read the Old Testament, people are very hard to please. And leaders can take it personally. So God says, sin, don't. It's not on you. You're not responsible for their decisions, don't beat yourself. Like Jesus, he told his disciples, he sent them out to share the gospel. He said, if they listen to you, stay with them. If they don't listen to you, shake the dust off, because you're responsible for sharing the gospel, but you're not responsible for what they do. With you. So what the people request is alarming. It seems it's a rejection of their own identity, a rejection of God, and a rejection of Samuel. Nevertheless, Samuel, the mediator, shares their request with God. The people are asking for a king, probably more alarming than that request is God's response. God grants their request. Give them a king. For years God had promised the people that He alone would be their God, the center of their universe, their protector of their king. And now the people have seen other communities, they've seen what they have, feel like they're missing out. So they complain. They plead, they whine, they argue. It is necessary for us to have a God responds. As David's telling children, God responds. God gives them what they want. No, God doesn't want it. There will be a price to pay. There is a cost. Just count how many times between verses 11 and 17, the word take is mentioned. Take. That's what will happen. The king will take your sons, your daughters, your land, your money through taxes. Ironically, it will be as if you're going back into slavery in Egypt. Nevertheless, God gives in, but with a warning. Now, as a parent, I try never to seem as though I'm giving in to my children's unreasonable demands. Somehow God's gracious response, though, is willing to bend toward his children, to speak an amazing grace, a grace that will continually surprise them and us. Just when we think we have God figured out, God surprises us. God will give the prodigals an early inheritance. God will welcome the prodigal back once they squandered it. Samuel learns that God responds. God hears us. God may change His mind. God will bend to our requests. Even leave a throne to come to us to be killed by us. Well, the only explanation for that kind of grace is love. Although there will become some pretty bad kings to lead the country, there will be some bad kings. But had they not gotten a king, we wouldn't have King David. We wouldn't have his songs. And we wouldn't have his temple. And there's an ancestor. David. Down the line there would be another king. A king who would one day become savior. Well maybe it's true what Gail She says. If we don't change we don't grow. If we don't grow we aren't living. Or as C. Joy Bell says the only way we can live
1: the only way we can grow is if
0: we change. And the only way we can change is if we learn. The only way we can learn is if we are exposed. And the only way we can become exposed is if we throw ourselves out in the open. Do it. Throw yourself. Throw yourself before God. What request are you holding back from God? What would you like to ask? Maybe why about demand? What are we not asking because we assume God won't listen, won't respond, may even punish us? What old rigid beliefs have you held on to, becoming rigid yourself toward? Seven and changing. You know this. God bends to us for love. God loves you. God loves those who we don't love. What lesson do we learn God, we often don't know what to ask for, what we truly need. It seems we need a king and you're gracious to give. Hear our prayers. Thank you for your grace. That then send a King to us to be our Savior. Help us hear Him, follow Him, to be your people unique. Call us and send us the great in His name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in seminary the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Baltimore Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.